two, three for this. Mm. So this is the, I think, the fourth talk in our little series on Bitcoin energy. And just to <coughs> recap, last time we got to the point after the reading of the gospel and the sermon, if there is one, uh, the deacon, uh, or the priest, if there's no deacon, uh, proclaims the augmented litany. It's uh, uh, quite, in a way, similar, similar length to the great litany uh, which opens the divine liturgy. Uh, it's called augmented because uh, it's more intense. The choir, instead of us singing just one Lord have mercies, three Lord have mercies, and as I said last time, uh, it's because we are warmed up for prayer. Uh, it takes uh, a while to get into the uh, the right uh, spiritual frame of mind. That's why to us Orthodox, the Western services seem so very, to be over almost before they have started, uh, you know, half an hour or so, and uh, it's, all, it's all over. That's why, of course, conversely to Westerners, they can't understand why our <laughs> Orthodox services are so... Uh, long, different mentality. Anyway, uh, after the augmented litany comes the litany for the catechumens. And Jean particularly asked me to, uh, to speak about that. Uh, let's remind ourselves who are the catechumens, true, but are on the way, who are preparing or being prepared. The uh, word catechumen is... Uh, just means is the Greek word for somebody who's learning. And in the ancient church, the institution of the catechumen was a very serious thing. Uh, people uh, were not baptized on demand. Uh, they had to go through this period of preparation, which could easily last a, a year or, or, or more, um, be recommended, vouched for by their sponsor, and to undergo you know, a very serious uh, course of instruction. And bearing that in mind, the church recognized them and uh, officially uh, and prays for them uh, at every divine liturgy. <coughs> Fine, it's okay, don't worry. You have a long way to go. So, let's uh, just... Sometimes there is, before that, there is a litany for the departed, if it's a special service for uh, remembering one or more people who have died. Yeah, so the deacon <coughs> says, catechumens pray to the Lord. And then he says, uh, addressing the faithful, the already baptized people, let us, the faithful, pray for the catechumens that the Lord would have mercy on them, that he would instruct them in the word of truth, that he would reveal unto them the gospel of righteousness, that he would unite them to his holy Catholic and apostolic church. Like in the creed we say, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We pray that the catechumens would be united to that church. Save them, have mercy on them, help them, and keep them, O God, by thy grace. <clears throat> and he says, catechumens, bow your heads to the Lord. At this point, uh, all the catechumens uh, probably would come forward or stand together, bow. The priest would read the prayer for them. And this prayer is still read, but uh, quietly by the priest. Prayer for the catechumens. O Lord our God, who dwellest on high and watchest over things below, who for the salvation of mankind has sent forth thine only begotten Son, our Lord and God Jesus Christ. Look upon thy servants, the catechumens, who have bowed their necks to thee, and in due time count them worthy of the washing that brings rebirth, the remission of sins, and the garment of incorruption. Unite them to thy holy, catholic, and apostolic church, and number them with thy chosen flock, and this is the bit you hear, that with us they also may glorify thine honorable and majestic name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever and to the ages of ages. Amen. So, um, in due time, count them worthy. Uh, time is all, always a, a critical factor. 
there is a time for everything. Uh, and very often it's not exactly our time, but God's time. Uh, and sometimes, in this given case, you think uh, you one meets people who are somehow encountered the church, fallen in love with it, and want to become part of it, you know, as soon as possible, which is understandable. But uh, these things take, uh, on our side, it takes time simply to become uh, at least a little bit familiar with what it is that uh, we are joining or being joined to. Uh, and as I said, these uh, Metropolitan Anton used to say that God picks the fruit when it is ripe and not before. Because if you try and pick it before it's ripe, it doesn't come away or it tears or something. And uh, he said another uh, interesting thing, actually, and this is specifically about the uh, English, local people, Brit English, British people uh, he met who want to join the church. He said, I always make them wait, yes, for two or three years. Yeah? Um, I remember when I was talking Yes, yes, he says, <laughs> yes, yes. But he said, why? He said, he said, he said, they need to thaw out, yeah? <laughs> to thaw out in the warmth of the church. Uh, that's an interesting. Uh, yes, okay, please. please. Uh, that uh, you know, there is maybe it's just a, a cultural thing, but uh, he felt that uh, it wasn't possible. Hello, uh, to accept uh, people straight away until they had somehow adapted yeah, to the new and the new environment it's true that all of us not only English people need uh, a lot of um, sorting out but it's experience simply shows that people very often people who are received quickly and without adequate preparation without just time to adjust to it uh, usually don't last yeah. um, so there is a there is a wisdom in this ancient practice of uh, not hurrying yeah, to uh, receive. It was one thing on the day of Pentecost, you know, when uh, thousands believed and were baptized on the uh, on the same day. But you have to bear in mind that those were not pagans; those were Jews, yeah, and large people who had already been, as a whole people, had been formed by centuries of divine. Uh, history of divine action, exactly for that, for the coming of Messiah. So another story when um, uh, the, the church is expanding into a world which is uh, steeped in paganism and demanding a very radical change of life to become a Christian. Uh, <clears throat> count them worthy of the, the washing that brings rebirth. What is that? The baptism. Yes, the, the washing. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the remission of sins and the the garment of incorruption. This is a reference to the baptismal garment, which the newly baptized person to this day is dressed in the white robe. <clears throat> so uh, then we come to the point where the deacon uh, dismisses the catechumens, and this is quite a slightly dramatic. Moment, he says, as many as are catechumens depart, catechumens depart, let none of the catechumens remain, as many as are of the faithful, again and again in peace, let us pray to the Lord. And at this point, uh, in the ancient church, the catechumens left, because what uh, what follows is the, uh, the Eucharist with which they are not yet able to partake because they are not baptized. Uh, and as I said before, in the ancient church, it was unthinkable to be present at the Eucharist and not to come, you know, at the right time to receive communion. It's, uh, it would be, to give an analogy, if somebody invites you to dinner, you know, and you sit down at the table with everybody else, you sort of chat and, chat, and then they put the food on the table and you don't eat it. You know? It's considered, you know, very strange, if not a bit uh, offensive.
Orthodox. Yes. No. Theoretically, from the Catholic, uh, uh, or, uh, from the point of view of the uh, Roman Church, although I think in practice these days, very often the Roman Catholic priests would uh, give communion to Orthodox people. And other churches like the Anglicans practice open communion pretty much. Mm-hmm. Well, these things change in different places at different uh, different times. No, no, no. It's an interesting... <coughs> See, many people today find this attitude um, you know, of uh, not giving, not practicing so-called intercommunion, not giving uh, communion to non-Orthodox to be something very strange, a bit shocking, you know. Um, why it's so exclusive, and, you know. But it comes back to the question of boundaries. Yeah. The Church has boundaries. It's a distinct uh, entity. And those boundaries uh, are necessary. In fact, in general, boundaries are necessary for the uh, survival of any uh, living organism. Uh, look, we, even we uh, animals, we have skin, you know, uh, which uh, forms a barrier between us and the outside world, which protects us from uh, infection and uh, all, all kinds of things. Uh, the boundary is necessary, and when the boundaries are broken, it can uh, create problems, and in the end it leads to the disappearance uh, of what, whatever it was you previously had within those boundaries. And so it's uh, right and necessary that the Church maintains clear boundaries, knows uh, who, who belongs, who is a member of the body, and who is not yet. Otherwise, in the end, the uh, Church will simply assimilate to the world, and there won't be any di- difference, and it won't therefore be able to fulfill its function in the world. I wonder, because I've heard this answer about I've never got involved, and I think to myself, well, are you involved with something that will think The question of the role of uh, faith in marriage uh, is a very important one. It's not, uh, not one that I really want to be drawn into. I want to keep the uh, focus uh, on the lecture. I'd be happy to talk about that at another time. Uh, now, while that litany is being said, and exactly at the words uh, that he will open to them the gospel of righteousness, the priest completes the unfolding uh, of the antimensium, the antimens, on the holy table. Uh, I spoke to you, we spoke last time about the significance of the uh, antimens, the uh, piece of cloth with the image of Christ, uh, the particle of holy relics, and the most importantly, the signature of your bishop. Uh, it is the uh, sign of authority delegated by the bishop to the priest to celebrate the divine uh, liturgy in a given place. And I've actually brought one uh, with me, so may I just borrow this table and I can take your... Well, uh, we, we have two. We have the, we call the everyday antimins, which is signed by our Vladika. Uh, and we have the sort of festive antimins, which is signed by the Holy Patriarch. He gave it to us when he came last year to uh, consecrate the cathedral. So it's carefully wrapped up. Cloth. So here you see <coughs> the antimins. The, it depicts uh, the Christ uh, being laid in the tomb, uh, surrounded by you know, Joseph Arimathea, the, the women. Uh, on the corners you have the images of the four uh, gospel evangelists, the writers of the gospel. And uh, here it's signed by the bishops. There's, by mm-hmm. the divine uh, mercy. 
So by the blessing of the Holy Patriarch Kirill, this is given by Priyosvishinim Archibiskopom Soroskim Yerise, by the Most Reverend Archbishop Yerise. Leta Otsasdanye Mir. In the year from the creation of the world, because this is a church calendar, and then in Slavonic numbers 6357 or something, whatever it is. Uh, and from the birth of Christ, which uh, is missing, in the month of uh, December, on the first day, uh, oh, yes, that's the date. Yes, so it's 2000. Given for the celebration of the divine uh, services in the church, and hear the name of the church, the Church of the Holy Apostle Andrew in Romford. Smireni Yelise, Archiepiscop Sorskin, the most humble, uh, the humble Yelise Archbishop Sorskin. Underneath, mm. in here, mm. in this little what is, pocket. Do you know what it is? Who is it? No, I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. No. Sometimes they're not always, always known who they uh, came from. So there it is. Mm. Oh, it's a big problem. <laughs> you have to be very uh, careful. So what do you use it for, sir? Ah. It's. Uh, it's an anti-means. Not Kothorm, so we're showing the Bojas in Turkey. It has to be with the relics. Yes. 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 So this sits on the altar table. Yes. Says, uh, well, it's, it's 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 kept permanently on the altar table with the gospel book sat on top of it. Uh, and at this point in the divine liturgy, the gospel book is removed and it is uh, opened. Uh, this is the uh, pillar to which the Lord Christ was tied when he was flogged before the crucifixion. This is the crown of thorns. Uh, this is the the sponge uh, mm. that was offered the, the vinegar mm. to him, and the spear uh, which the soldiers pierced his uh, body with. Composition presents here different for different anti means, or is just no, no. This is it's a it's a standard pattern. Yeah. The only difference between the entrance is the, the bishop's signature and the place where it's mm -hmm. uh, to be used. Yes. The inscription here says, and by the, This entrance is blessed by the grace of the most holy and life-giving spirit uh, for uh, is the holy table uh, for the offering on it of the divine uh, sacrifice of the body and blood of our, uh, the Lord in the holy liturgy. It says it actually is the holy table because, uh, as I say, in the early church the liturgy was very goodly offered on the tomb of the martyrs. Yeah. But then when uh, the custom arose of having the relics sewn into the antimony so that you could, it was, if you like, it's a portable altar. There was some interesting, and the same similar thing existed in the old um, Western Church here. I remember seeing in an exhibition at, where was it? Sona, uh, the portable altar of St. Cuthbert of Lindisfarne. Okay. It has a different form. That was a, uh, like a small, it was actually wooden, a small little wooden bl block. Uh, but the idea was that the same. Mm -hmm. This is the sponge which the priest uses to gather up any crumbs that remain after the 
celebration liturgy. So where exactly the rain? Oh, I just put the sun in the back in here. I'm sorry? These are the four apostles? Yes, the four uh, evangelists, gospel writers, yes. So what's this like little eagle thing? They all have their own symbols. Yes, uh, this is uh, St. Matthew, whose day it is today. Yeah. Yeah. He has the <coughs> his symbol is the, Anna, please don't interrupt. Yeah. Matthew's symbol is uh, a human figure, a man. Uh, this is Mark. His symbol is a, a lion. It's this little lion face here. I was just reading today that, you know, when I was reading that Matthew is with, well, normally with an angel because he's like a mission or something like this. Uh, he's it with an angel, isn't it an angel? Uh, Next. Uh, Luke has the bull and John has the eagle. These animals have a symbolical, allegorical significance. Um, you see the same thing on the, uh, on the Charles Larch in the main church right below the crucifixion. Um, I'm not very clear on the symbols of each one. The eagle is clear enough because John was the most exalted theologian. He had the high uh, view. Matthew stresses the incarnation of Christ. I'm just sure about the lion. That's why there are lions in St. Mark's uh, Venice. And Luke, the bull, is an animal of sacrifice, and he emphasizes the sacrifice of Christ. Anyway. Okay, God bless you. Thank you. So, uh, I will show part of the video now so you can see how that works in action. Okay, so this is the uh, beginning. <coughs> The liturgy, uh, first part, the liturgy of the catechumens is now finished. The catechumens have been dismissed, they've uh, gone. Uh, and uh, the liturgy of the faithful begins. And there are, a bit, uh, there are two short uh, litanies uh, which have their own uh, prayers where the priest prays that we will be able to uh, worthily uh, celebrate together the liturgy. We thank thee, the first one, we thank thee, O Lord God of the powers, who has counted us worthy to stand even now before thy holy altar and to fall down before thy compassion for our sins and those things done in ignorance by the people. Interesting distinction. The priest prays about his sins, but for the, he says the things that done in ignorance by the, the people. It's a very compassionate kind of prayer. Receive our prayer, O God. Make us worthy to offer thee prayers and supplications and bloodless sacrifices for all thy people, and enable us, that is, the priest, whom thou hast appointed to this thy ministry by the power of thy Holy Spirit, to call upon thee at all times and all places with the pure witness of our conscience, without stumbling, without blame, so that hearing us thou mayest be gracious to us in the abundance of thy goodness. <coughs> and after the second litany of the faithful, the priest explain, exclaims, uh, that being always guarded by thy might, we may give glory to thee, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and over to the ages of ages. Uh, at this point, the royal doors are opened, and the deacon begins the sensing of the sanctuary and the church. Now, at this point, the priest reads uh, a prayer, uh, which is very personal. Uh, he prays uh, for himself. Uh, not for the people, that he would be counted worthy to offer the holy sacrifice. No one who is bound by the desires and pleasures of the flesh is worthy to approach or draw near or to minister to thee, O King of glory. For to serve thee is great and awesome even for the heavenly powers. Yet in thine inexpressible and boundless love for mankind thou didst become man without change or alteration and didst become our high priest 
And as Master of All has committed to us the sacred ministry of this liturgical sacrifice without shedding of blood. For thou alone, O Lord our God, rulest over things in heaven and things on earth, who art born on the throne of the cherubim, the Lord of the seraphim, and the King of Israel. Thou alone art holy and at rest amidst the holy ones. Therefore I entreat thee, who alone art good and ready to hear, look down upon me, thy sinful and unprofitable servant, and cleanse my soul and heart from an evil conscience, and by the power of thy Holy Spirit, enable me, who am clothed with the grace of the priesthood, to stand before this, thy holy table, and to celebrate the mystery of thy holy and most pure body and thy precious blood. Note the phrase here, clothed with the grace of the priesthood. The priest is the only way that it's possible for a, a sinful human being to, to do this. Uh, for unto thee I come with bended neck, and I entreat thee, turn not away thy face from me, nor reject me from among thy children, but count me thy sinful and unworthy servant, worthy to offer these gifts. <coughs> for thou art he that offers, and he that is offered, both he that receives, and he that is given, O Christ our God. To thee we give glory together with thy Father, who is without beginning, thy Lord, holy, good, and life-giving Spirit, now and forever, and unto the ages of ages. After that, the priest and deacon bow three times before the holy table and uh, recite the uh, cherubic hymn. We who in a mystery represent the cherubim and sing the thrice holy hymn to the life-creating trinity, let us now lay aside all the cares of this life, <coughs> that we may receive the King of all, invisibly escorted by angelic horse. The priest comes to the door, bows to the people, and they go to the offertory table, where the holy gifts have been uh, prepared at the proscomedia. The priest gives the pattern, the discourse, to the deacon, and himself takes the chalice. And preceded by uh, candles, they make uh, what is called the great entrance. This practice probably uh, originated at a time when the chapel where the uh, holy gifts were prepared might be quite separate from the sanctuary in another part of the church. And so they, the transferring of the gifts would be a real procession of covering some distance. Uh, later on, everything was concentrated in the sanctuary, but the, the procession and the entrance remains. In the Greek church, they make more of it by going around the whole church yeah, as far as possible. Uh, and here, prayers are offered for the church hierarchy, for the con local country, the civil authorities, uh, the founders and benefactors of the church, people who are sick and whatever. So may the Lord God remember them in his kingdom, always, now and forever, to the ages of ages. I'll just pause uh, at this point. Strip of cloth, yeah? yeah? Yes. It's called the um, orarion in Greek. Uh, <coughs> it's thought to have originated uh, from the cloth or towel that was typically carried by uh, waiters. In fact, you can still see it today. So, sometimes waiters have a, mm -hmm. a little towel over their, uh, over their arm. Uh, and in that respect, it connects the ministry of diaconal service to the to the liturgy, because the for, uh, the deacons originally uh, were chosen to you know, take care of the poor people and community and various kinds of social uh, ministry, uh, and that they also acquired the function in, in the liturgy. Um, it's worn uh, over the left shoulder. But at a certain point in the liturgy, it, it's uh, crossed, sort of tied across. Uh, so that it forms a, an X-shaped uh, on the back. And here it probably connects to the, um, the there's a, a symbolic connection of the deacon's ministry with that of the angels, because the deacon moves all the time between uh, heaven and earth, between the uh, nave and the sanctuary. He is the herald. He proclaims things. Uh, why is he... He holds it like this when he's praying. I think this is probably... Uh, comes from the ancient uh, traditions of oratory. 
uh, in the ancient world, oratory was a very highly, uh, public speaking, was a very highly developed art form. Uh, it was taught in the university. And there were certain uh, standard conventional uh, gestures that were associated with that. We can get little hints of that in the Acts of the Apostle when Luke is talking about when uh, something. Then at that point, Paul stretched out his hand and said, Men and brothers, you know, Israel. Uh, it was a way of um, as well, taking, uh, claiming attention. You have something to say. Uh, there are many, <coughs> you see it again and again, we find practical details, symbolical significances all tied up together. And this very interesting practical detail that if you extend your arm like this, it does something to your chest and increases the resonance. So you actually, your voice is actually strengthened by holding out your arm in front of you. Yeah, it creates a certain tension. Uh, and that's why opera singers very often will, will do this, <laughs> you know. Uh, I picked that up from uh, Magdalena. She, yeah, she, she always sort of holds the... No, it sounds like that. <laughs> um, yes, so that, that's about the uh, Aralion, the deacon's stall. Um, so the practical reason for the great entrance was simply to take the holy gifts to the altar table for the celebration of the liturgy. But, uh, of course, it acquires uh, a symbolic meaning, and the, uh, it became a, a sort of sacred image of the burial of the Lord. That's why on the uh, Antimins it's depicted exactly that. Uh, the Holy Ghost are taken into the altar, uh, laid on the table as on a tomb, and the doors are closed, and the curtain is drawn, like the doors of the, the stone being rolled against the uh, door of the tomb. And that is... Uh, <coughs> sometimes these in symbolical interpretations are just that. Sometimes they've actually become embedded in the text of the liturgy. gives them a, a, a stronger significance. So when the priest uh, puts the pattern and the chalice down on the holy table, he says the following verses. The noble Joseph, taking down thy most pure body from the tree, wrapped it in clean linen with spices and mourning, laid it in a new tomb. That's Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, and then he says, in the tomb with the body, in hell with the soul as God, in paradise with the thief, and on the throne with the Father and the Spirit, thou fillest all things, O Christ, thyself uncircumscribed. It's a very interesting thought that at one and the same time, if one can use that word, uh, Christ is uh, physically in the tomb, uh, in, in this uh, spiritually, <coughs> in his soul, uh, in Hades. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Remember the Orthodox icon of the resurrection. Yeah, uh, which shows Christ not floating up out of the tomb, but going down into the underworld, into Hades, to liberate the captives, Adam and Eve and all, all the rest. Uh, in paradise with the thief. Remember, he said on the cross to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And on the throne with the Father and the Spirit, because... <coughs> We should not. Uh, we should never think that there was a sort of empty chair in heaven, you know, while Christ was on earth. Christ uh, fills as the process fills all things and is not circumscribed, not bounded, not limited by anything. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Uh, it, look at the words. So, <clears throat> scribe, right? That's writing. Yes. Circum, round circle. Yes. And when you draw a circle, you enclose something in it. Yeah. So uncircumscribed means unbounded. Next prayer: Truly thy tomb, <coughs> <coughs> truly thy tomb, O Christ, has been shown to be. <coughs> truly thy tomb, O Christ, has been shown to be brighter 
than any royal chamber <coughs> as bringing life and more fruitful than paradise. It is the fountain of our resurrection. It's beautiful pr- prayers, full of powerful uh, imagery, the image of the tomb as the source of life. Uh, everything is turned upside down and inside out. Uh, it sounds to me like I should probably stop talking and just show you the rest of the <laughs> video. At this point, the priest uh, invites the deacon to pray for him, and the deacon says, May the, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. The priest answers, The same Spirit shall minister together with us all the days of our life. And the deacon goes out for the next litany. Uh, this litany, uh, which begins, Let us complete our prayer to the Lord, is the last one before the uh, Anaphora for the Eucharist. Uh, It's been said, jokingly, that you know that you are Orthodox when you hear the deacon saying, let us complete our prayer to the Lord, and you know there's still an hour to go. (laughs) Uh, Again, prayers for the church, for the people, basically for everything that is, uh, as it says, good and profitable for our souls. Again, the priest has uh, the prayer which is said um, quietly. O Lord God Almighty, who alone art holy, and dost accept a sacrifice of praise from those who call upon thee with all their heart, accept also the prayer of us sinners and bring it to thy holy altar, and enable us to offer thee gifts and spiritual sacrifices for our sins and those things done in ignorance by the people. Count us worthy to find grace in thy sight, that our sacrifice may be acceptable to thee, and that the good spirit of thy grace may rest on us and these gifts here set forth and on all thy people. The priest uh, offers the peace to the people. Peace be with all of you and with your spirit. And the deacon says, <coughs> Let us love one another, that with one mind we may confess in the requirements of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity one in essence and undivided. And at this point, the deacon, again, does one of his great proclamations. The doors, the doors in wisdom, let us attend. What do you think that might mean? Yeah. What have the doors got to do with it? Some people are. The doors of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah? There were people, there were, not bouncers exactly, but people whose job it was to guard the doors. And at this point, this was the instruction to close the doors and not to let anybody in or out until the end of the liturgy. Or out. No. Because it was, cons- first of all, those who arrived were uh, too late, and anybody who was already there would leave before the end of the It was considered very uh, sinful and dis- disruptive, st- strictly forbidden. Uh, <clears throat> and then uh, the creed is sung. I'll just pause again here. Let's come back to the deacon's uh, proclamation. Let us love one another, that with one mind we may confess, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, one in essence and undivided. And then we uh, sing the creed, the symbol vere. It's a very interesting uh, connection of things here. Uh, On the one hand, uh, there is the orthodox faith, which is expressed in the creed, but uh, at the same time, the deacon, <coughs> we are called to love one another because uh, we cannot, uh, we are not true Christians if we reduce the faith to an abstract set of doctrinal uh, statements, which doesn't connect to our real life. Uh, we have, as the apostle says, to maintain uh, the unity of the spirit in the bond of faith. If I'm not, I can't quoting that. Uh, faith and love go together if they're true faith and true love. Uh, actually, the uh, inclusion of the creed in the divine liturgy is a relatively late development. Um, and by that I mean probably about uh, 8th, 9th, 10th century. <coughs> there were reasons why, why it was uh, done, but it, uh, it's retained, it became a fixed part of uh, of the liturgy. Sacrifice. What is sacrifice? Good question. Thank you, Amy. Uh, So again, uh, we'll come to this. The deacon, 
again leads the way. He says, let us stand aright, stand with fear, yeah? stand with attention, with, with reverence. Uh, let us attend that we may present the holy offering in peace. And the choir responds, uh, mercy and peace, or mercy of peace, a sacrifice of praise. In Russian, mirost mira, jetvo kvalinia. This is a very uh, intriguing and dense uh, expression. Let's try and uh, un unpack it. The notion of sacrifice yeah, is uh, offering something to God. And uh, in, in part and parcel of that, uh, being made, uh, being consecrated, being made holy. It is uh, an offering with a dis uh, specific purpose to uh, effect a reconciliation, a union, a coming together between the one who offers and the one who receives the sacrifice. Everything that we read about sacrifice in the Old Testament, you know, all those bullocks and things, um, essentially a symbolical offering, prefiguring the one real, true sacrifice, which is the sacrifice of Christ himself. Uh, that sacrifice uh, was offered once and for all upon the cross. Uh, but we, uh, in the celebration of the divine liturgy, and actually in the whole of our Christian life, uh, have to become uh, partakers of that sacrifice. We have to be united with that. And one way in which we uh, do this is to offer what's here called the sacrifice of praise, uh, offering uh, of praise and glory to God from human lips. The phrase, midos mira, mercy of peace. I think we can begin to, you could probably expand that in different ways, but what seems to me uh, that this, uh, first of all, the peace, uh, the peace comes up again and again in the ditch every time the priest says, peace be unto all, just as Christ when he came uh, to the apostles uh, through the closed doors. First thing he says is, peace be with you. Uh, it's the peace of Christ, the peace uh, between uh, man and God. And this, in this is shown, and uh, the granting of this peace is a great uh, mercy from, to us, from uh, sinners, from God himself. But these things cannot be uh, exhaustively expounded uh, rationally and uh, verbally. Uh, somehow, when you participate in that again and again, it becomes part of you and your soul responds. Uh, and the priest introduces the uh, prayer of the Anaphora with this ancient formula, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. This is a, a, a typical greeting that Apostle Paul very often opens his Letters like that. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. And I think because we're coming to the uh, most everything is important, the, the, the heart of the divine uh, liturgy, and I think I will save that for next time, and uh, hopefully when I will be in a little better condition. But we have uh, a little time left. If you just some uh, questions or comments, uh, please. <coughs> Can you wait another uh, two weeks? Good. When the Eucharistic Canon starts, great entrance, or when we just. The, the, uh, the Eucharistic Canon, or the uh, Anaphora, starts exactly at this point, yeah. where the, the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion. It's actually quite short from, from there until the consecration of the holy gifts. It's less than 10 minutes, mm -hmm. 7 to 10.
in this maximum. But it is the, the heart uh, of the liturgy. And this is right about this. Yes. 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 There's a question from the audience. Yes, please. Why Not audience, from everybody. When the gates are mm-hmm. open, when the gate open. Uh, so Natasha thinks that you are not allowed to go out when the gates are open. Because sometimes when the gate is open, people, you know, running around the church. Mm-hmm. So what's happened? Well, generally speaking, the 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 gates, more gates, are opened at the most uh, solemn moments of the. Uh, uh, liturgy, like at the great entrance, when the priest comes out with the holy uh, uh, communion. Um, of course, we should be um, reverent and attentive at all times during the liturgy. Um, probably, especially when uh, when there are uh, doors are open. Having said that, the whole business about the opening and the closing of the royal doors again is something that developed uh, over time. Uh, if we let me finish, uh, there's an interesting difference here between the liturgy as celebrated by a priest and by a bishop. When the bishop celebrates, uh, the royal doors are open uh, all through the liturgy, right up until the communion of the clergy. And this is uh, this is certainly the ancient practice. The uh, closing and opening of the doors developed over time, along with this um, as a symbolical interpretation of different parts of the uh, liturgy. And it, yes? Yes. Uh, the, see, the idea of closing, covering uh, of the sacred is part of this particular type of liturgical piety. Another day. Uh, and you can have different views uh, about that, but that is the, the tradition uh, that we uh, have in the broadly in the Eastern Christian tradition that the this the, that which is sacred is generally speaking veiled out of reverence. But practices change now in certain places. It's become common for the priest, even the priest, to celebrate with the doors uh, open until the communion. Or on certain occasions, we have there is a blessing like on uh, big feasts like Christmas to do that. Uh, so it's, we're in a transitional time, and we shouldn't worry too much about these things. Oh, you know, when gates are open, you're not allowed to. I have heard this saying. So when gates are open, you're not allowed to sit down. So what? I guess it's just a tradition because Greeks they sit. Oh. No, but in general, Greek. you know, is there a rule or something? The, uh, Greeks became very uh, soft. Um, no, I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking that what they... It's look, the, norm, the normal... Uh, normal orth- orthodox means standing up, okay? All the time. <laughs> uh, except in certain uh, very specific uh, times. Like when you have, when the, uh, are reading the sedalian. Then, uh, yeah, okay. sedalian means uh, it's from the sedalish, seat. seat. Yeah, so sometimes that's translated into English as sitting down him, which is sort of strange. Well, yes. Um, or when they are reading the uh, the Kathismata. Yeah. Again, uh, it's... Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, because uh, Kathismata also relates to a, a, it's a Greek word for a seat. That's why an akathist is a not sitting down uh, Service. Well, you see, we do have some uh, little chairs and uh, in the church, but they're. <laughs> but they're the little ones. Uh, no, we don't have the little ones. No. no. Um, typically, they would be uh, the chairs in the Orthodox Church would be arranged uh, around the wall. Yeah, I, I see. Yes, yeah. or benches, mm-hmm. from which, incidentally, we get. The English expression to go to the wall. Okay. Yes, really. Is that yes. Okay. Yeah. When you're too old or infirm yeah, to stand up for in church, you go to the wall. To the wall. To the wall. Oh, yeah. okay. So if somebody says I'll go to it, the it, wall. It, 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 it,
Small things and big things, you know, that everything, that there's no perspective, you know, everything is all, you know. There is no, there is no differentiation yes. between these things. Yeah, um. There is things like we've told that you have to do and there are things that you, you are willing to do that you are, you really want to do and obviously mm. once you have the little will, yeah. then you can develop mm. the... Uh, more and more. No. Yes, and it's uh, it, it's a question of spiritual uh, religious culture, mm. and as I said earlier on about the case, that there is a process of adaptation to that. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't come all at once. When you first start going to Orthodox services, where they stand, you know, after half an hour, you're really <laughs> in agony. But everything gets easier with practice. When we needed Father Joseph, I was in Sergei People need one service. He stand from six o'clock, three o'clock. Just could you imagine? Well, because we need six o'clock in the morning till three. Yes, because we are waiting for the bishop, you know, to arrive. So when we needed, we could. Otherwise, we just sit. Well, in those days, in those days, the churches were so crowded that you couldn't fall down even. Turning up.